I'm starving. Would you join me for a meal? This world is a strange one. The Wendigo is back again, and it's hungrier than ever. If you haven't heard the legend of the Wendigo, let me remind you. The Wendigo is a spirit that possesses those who have tasted human flesh, changing them into insatiable monsters. Just because they were people once doesn't mean they have any humanity left. The next time you're in the woods, be sure to keep an eye out for the Wendigo, or you could be its next meal. Enjoy these allegedly real Wendigo encounters. But first, I have a request for all those creative writers out there. Our first app is in the work, and I need some choose-your-own-adventure scary stories. Go to deathbyfear.com slash do something to find out how you can submit your story or to see a preview of the app. Also, I'll be releasing a demo for my patrons very soon, so consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash darkness prevails. Now, this is weird, but I have a sudden craving for human flesh. Number one, Wendigo in the Rocky Mountains, submitted by Alex. This happened to me last winter, and I still am not sure exactly what happened, but I do know it's the first time I ever experienced true horror. I'm 17 years old, and I'm a three-year varsity letterman at my local high school. After a long swim season, our team won first place at the district swim meet, and our coach was extremely proud of our performances. Our coach was a really nice guy, he always promised us that if we made him proud at districts, he would give us a big reward. I was surprised to find out only a week later that this reward would be a mountain vacation for everyone on the team who was willing to come along. Our coach explained that his best friend owns a pretty nice cabin in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. From what he told us, the cabin sounded huge and had several rooms for each person to sleep in, as well as three different floors. It took me some convincing, but I had my license and my parents let me drive their old car halfway across the country to Colorado. I was no stranger to driving on very long road trips, so I was not concerned with how long it would take. I packed up my gaming laptop, my phone, my tablet, and a few other electronics I could listen to during the long drive. Then I headed northwest from my home state. This may seem like a strange thing for a school team to do, but most of us have been with Coach for years. Every one of us and our parents were on a come-have-dinner-with-us basis with our coach, and there was plenty of trust between us. I'll cut through the majority of the drive, since it basically consisted of two days of me sleeping at truck stops and peeing in rather filthy McDonald's bathrooms. It was about 8.30 in the morning, when I reached the particular mountain the cabin was located on, and I pulled into the driveway to see several cars already there, my friends and teammates inside their vehicles, waiting for the coach. They told me that our coach would be there with the keys to the gate in half an hour. Then we could all go in. Less than half of the team was there anyway, and there were about 20 more teammates still on their way. An hour later, my best friends pull in, Let's call them Lee, Sam, Ari, and Brendan. 
Lee was and is my best friend. In fact, she's like a little sister to me. Ari is my ex, and while things were weird between us sometimes, we were still friends. Brendan was pretty much that one friend that everyone gives a really hard time to for no reason. And finally, Sam was the nerd. He's a really cool guy, but he and I spend half the time we hang out with each other talking about Fallout. I'll skip ahead to when my coach and assistant coach finally pulled into the driveway in their car. Only three people were absent from the group when our coaches arrived. That group of three already called the coach though, telling him they were stuck in a snowstorm a few miles away and would not be able to make it until morning. The snow was beginning to fall here, and pretty heavily at this point, and the moon was only just able to shine through the snowy clouds above us. We hauled our belongings through the knee-deep snow to the front door of the cabin, and I have to say, the place was amazing. It was really three stories tall, with a big living room with several couches, a big rug, lamps, tables, and a big flat screen TV sitting right above the fireplace in the center. You could look straight up to the ceiling of the cabin from the couches, and if you stared for too long, it would probably give you vertigo. There were balconies surrounding the living room on each floor, leading to the bedrooms and bathrooms. The older kids in the group, the seniors, claimed their bedrooms before any of us could. I may have been a junior back then, but the seniors outnumbered all of us. This meant that the rest of us would have to sleep in the living room. I had no problem with this, so I grabbed my blanket and made my bed on the couch closest to the fireplace, which conveniently had an outlet adjacent to it, which I plugged my laptop into. I watched a few YouTube videos for a while, then played some Battlefield. I drifted off well after everyone else did, around midnight if I had to say and I let the crackling of the fire nearby lull me to sleep. I woke up feeling extremely thirsty and very, very cold. Besides the thirst, I saw no reason for me to have been woken up. However, despite how cold I was, I could feel myself laying in a pool of sweat. It was disgusting. I had goosebumps all over my body, and I was paralyzed with fear for no apparent reason. No one else was awake in the room. It was still dark out, and the snow was piling up outside. I reached for my phone quietly, but when I tried to turn it on, the battery was dead. That wasn't right. It was at full charge when I drifted off, and I'd even left it on the charger. The next thing I noticed was that the fire was dwindling down, but still lit up the room ever so faintly. And that's when I heard it a quiet creak coming from the kitchen. My brain told me it was one of my teammates getting a drink of water like I wanted to do, but my body told me it was dangerous. There was a tall silhouette looming across the living room from me. It was thin and white. I mean, white as the snow outside. It had hairs on its forearms and calves, and its face was too obscure to make out any discernible features other than what appeared to be massive, sharp teeth glinting from its mouth. It stood about 10 feet tall. I mean, anywhere else, this thing would have had to crawl on its hands and knees in order to fit. It walked gracefully across the living room, glancing down at each sleeping teammate as it passed them. As it got closer to me and the fire, I could make out more and more of its face, 
Its eyes were milky white, like that of some corpse. It had no nose, as if what had been there had frozen or decayed and fallen off a long time ago. I closed my eyes, but just barely peeked through my eyelashes so I could still see the thing without it knowing I was awake. Of course, I thought about screaming and waking up everyone, but I couldn't see any scenario where that would end up well for any of us. I watched as it got closer to me, then it stopped. It looked annoyed. It looked down at the fire and immediately walked away out of my view. I stayed awake for the longest time after it left, and before I even know it, I fell back to sleep. When I woke up, I was not covered in sweat this time, or even leftover body odor for that matter, and my phone was fully charged. I chalked up the incident quickly to a nightmare, then went into the kitchen to greet my three teammates, who finally made it to the cabin earlier that morning. Me and my group of friends decided that we were going to go skiing down the homemade ski course made by our coach's friends. We were dressed head to toe in thick snowsuits. Me and Brendan ended up skiing down the same path together, while the others were separated by a fork in the path. Me and Brendan were doing fine for a while until we saw the path end abruptly ahead of us into nothing more than a wall of thick trees. If it weren't for the snow and the thick padding on our snowsuits, we could have gotten hurt, but thankfully we were okay. I suggested that we walk west toward where the path split off to find the others, and then we could go back to the cabin together. But Brendan insisted that he could hear Lee calling us from the south. We did the dumbest thing ever then. We split up. I didn't hear Lee, and I just figured that Brendan's ears must have been ringing from that emergency stop we had to make. I was only walking away from him for about three minutes when I heard Brendan scream. It sent chills down my spine, but I did not hesitate to turn back and run toward the sound. I found Brendan lying face down in the snow with a bloody scratch going down his back. Whatever did this pierced his thick snowsuit like it was warm butter. Seconds later, Lee and the others came through the trees, running to see what had happened, but there was no time to explain it all. We picked up our unconscious friend and we began to carry him up the mountain for 15 long, miserable minutes. We found our coach reading a book on the deck, and right away he put Brendan in his car to take him to the doctor in town. We came along. An hour later, he was being bandaged up by a doctor at a local hospital. He said we were lucky it did not get infected, but Brendan would have to take antibiotics for the next two weeks just to be safe. I then asked the doctor what he thought it was, and he insisted it was a claw mark from a bear, but it was much deeper than any bear claw that he'd ever seen. The rest of the trip went without incident, but when I talked to Brendan about what attacked him, he took me away in private, then told me in very chilling detail. As I heard him explain it, I found myself unable to breathe. He said it was a tall, bony white creature standing at about 10 feet. It had long legs and long arms that hung down to the ground. He told me that its claws were almost a foot long, that the last thing he could remember was the thing scratching his back. So he must have passed out 
from fear alone. After hearing this story, I couldn't find the courage within myself to tell him about my dream, which I now knew was more than some dream. After that trip to Colorado, I'm very glad to be far away from that place, far away from that thing, whatever it was. I'll be thankful if I never have to see it again. I truly believe there are things out there that are dangerous, things we don't know anything about yet. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Number two, Wendigo in Colorado. Submitted by Hunter T. I'm 16 years old and from Colorado. I'm very into things involving the supernatural. So as you can imagine, I'm fairly paranoid about them. Every year, I'd go up into the Colorado Rockies and I'd cut wood for my grandparents. I practically lived there. I know every part of the 80 acres they had. They have a wood-burning fireplace to keep warm during the winter. It's usually just me and a couple of other family members. This particular year, I ended up coming up twice. The second time I came up, it was late fall and I was out of school. While my grandparents were enjoying warmth inside, I was in the middle of the woods doing some last minute woodcutting in the middle of a white snow. Soon I became tired and decided to stop and rest while I ate and listened to some music. Then I began to refill the chain oil. I didn't notice it at first, but the woods went quiet. What little wildlife was left had become silent. I stopped what I was doing and I decided to listen to this nothingness. Huh, that's weird, I thought sitting in the bed of my truck. And that's when I heard something. Unless you hear it yourself, it can be difficult to give you the proper description. But if I had to, I'd say it was like a cross between a black bear and a wolf. I completely froze when I heard it and I continued to listen to the forest and nothing else came. I knew full well that this shouldn't have been some black bear. I quickly loaded everything up and I left back to the cabin. Throughout the night, that weird silence never returned. All I could hear was the normal wildlife, coyotes mainly. 
Their yips as they caught their prey was oddly comforting out there in the woods. The next day, I went out to cut wood around seven-ish, and the sun had mostly set behind the snowy clouds. But today, I grabbed my dad's 38 revolver, and I placed it in the cab of the truck, just for safety reasons. I began cutting. At least an hour into my cutting, I ran out of gas and decided to stop and eat a little bit. Then I had noticed how the woods went quiet again, just like the previous day. It was so strange, it made my stomach turn. I slowly grabbed the gun and decided to look around. I thought the gun would make me feel safer, but I still felt very creeped out. Then to the left of me, I heard the telltale sound of a twig snapping underfoot, and I quickly turned around. But of course, there was nothing there. I laughed at myself, saying that I shouldn't be so paranoid. Albeit a bit nervously, I continued eating, and I got this feeling again of being watched. For some reason, I decided to look up, and when I saw it, my mouth stayed open. There was something in the tree, a thin and pale thing clinging to the aspen tree before me. It was covered head to toe with pale skin, and before I could decide to take a breath, this thing, with inhuman speed, jumped away from the tree. Wasting no time, I dropped my food and jumped in my truck, the 38 revolver clinging to my chest. I started the vehicle and I drove down the road. But of course, I saw it again, standing in the middle of the road, right in front of me. In a split second, I was able to take in the remainder of its appearance. Seeing this creature, it made me realize that a person can cry tears of fear. It was around seven and a half to eight feet tall. It was very, very pale. The thing had red eyes with small deer-like antlers on its head. And whatever this thing was, its lower jaw protruded out far, much too far to be natural. I was barely able to form thoughts in my head at this moment, but being so scared, I was seconds away from slamming my foot on the gas and aiming for this creature. But before I could, the thing ran. It ran right towards me. So I floored it. Luckily or unluckily, the creature jumped out of the way, but I just kept going, going right back to the cabin. I didn't say a word. I simply got out and ran into my room. I locked myself in there and I didn't come out for hours. As soon as I was able to move though, curiosity took hold and I decided to put a little research into what I saw. The thing I found that matches best would be a Native American monster called the Wendigo. I don't want to come back to my grandparents' land, but I know I'll have to, which might also mean that I might have to face the Wendigo again one day. And that, my friends, scares me more than anything. Stay safe, and even more so, stay alert in the woods. Number three, Giant White Creature, submitted by Morgoth66. I'm a Baptist, so I don't believe in ghosts or that sort of thing, but I firmly do believe that monsters are far too real. This encounter, if you will, 
happened when I was 14. Me and my dad were deer hunting at a friend's house in upstate New York. We were hunting in a field behind the friend's house. Between the house and his field were two large garages and a small valley. Woods surrounded the field on three sides with a farm off to the left. Well, one day, me and my dad were sitting in the hunting blind, more of an elevated large plastic can if anything. It was getting dark fast and we hadn't seen a deer all day, so I was getting bored, staring out of one of the plastic windows in the blind that was facing towards the house. The window was filthy, but it was propped open to let in some cooler air. As I was sitting there staring out the window, I saw something, this thing. I just don't know what else to call it. At first, I thought it was a large dog, a large white dog, like a Great Dane or something, but it was far too long and tall for a Great Dane. From my distance, it looked to be about seven feet tall. It had four long legs and seemed to have an almost graceful stride. I could not judge the height of the creature perfectly due to the distance, and I could barely make out some of its features, but what really scared me, what really made my eyes wide and my heart almost stop, was the fact that it didn't look like a dog or any animal in the face. No, it looked more like a person. After staring at it for a long moment, I turned to my dad and whispered, hey, look at this. He turned around, probably thinking I'd seen a deer and hoping for the best when he saw this thing as well. But all he did was glance at it then turn away, saying it must be a neighbor's dog. Maybe he was just disappointed that it wasn't a deer and therefore didn't keep his interest as much as it did me. But I stared at the thing as it walked toward one of the garages, which had a large opening in the front and the back. Inside that garage were tractors and landscaping equipment. I really wish I'd thought to write it down as soon as I saw it, because now I can only remember fuzzy details. That's about all I can remember, but it was enough to shake me and to confirm to me that there are creatures out there, creatures ripped straight from the storybooks and the old legends. Number four, Evil Spirit or Wendigo. Submitted by Luke M. I was 12 years old when this happened and I still don't fully understand exactly what happened to us. When I was in grade six, I met a kid named Brody. We were into the same games and he was already friends with my best friend, Mason. So after we talked for a while, we began having lunch together. And the next thing I knew, he was inviting me and some friends over on the weekends to play PS2 and watch movies. We began chilling together all the time and we were introduced to his friends from town. Let me go back a bit and say that we were from a rural community outside of a decent sized town with about 50,000 people in Northeastern Ontario, Canada. We went to public school with around 80 or 90 kids and the kids from the city went to a Catholic school with more than 150 kids, which blew our young minds at the time. When our group of friends got together, we would often play manhunt in the woods and in the fields near Brody's house. For those who don't know what manhunt is, it's what we call hide and seek tag or army tag. Brody's property was perfect for this 
because he had acres of woods and a long hilly field. We would wait until it was pitch black dark, grab some flashlights, and run around outside. We would do this all around the year, even when it was freezing in the Canadian winter. We would just dress up in snow pants instead, with huge jackets, just to hide in the snow. It was a lot of fun, until we began to have these encounters. The first encounter I had with this entity was the winter after I had started hanging out with them. There was five of us, me, Mason, Brody, and John and Travis, our city friends. We were bored one night and decided to go for a late night walk in the moonlight. It was so bright we didn't even need flashlights. In fact, the moonlight seemed always really bright at Brody's house. We walked for maybe 15 minutes before we came to a small clearing by a pond. There were large piles of grass and brush buried by the snow, and we thought they may have been dins by some kind of animal, but we weren't sure. We were talking about God knows what, probably Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 or something, when we could hear branches breaking nearby, probably a few dozen yards away. We stopped talking and looked around. We were assuming it was probably a coyote or a fisherman or something like that, so we decided to walk back to his house to be on the safe side. On the way back though, we heard the same noise continue to follow us from about two dozen yards now. Whatever this thing was, it was slinking through the brush quietly. You could only hear it if you really stopped and focused. We got scared from the noise, so we decided to loudly sing to try to scare it off. That may seem kind of silly or stupid, but we were scared back then and remembered a presentation we saw once about bears. Apparently bears don't like loud noises and you can use that to scare them off. Eventually, we got back to Brody's house and we warmed up with some hot chocolate by the fireplace, still a little freaked out. When that next summer came, we all decided we were going to make a fort. At that house, there was a strange phenomenon. In the woods, at least, time seemed to pass slower. You'd go out for what felt like hours and hours, but apparently only a few minutes would pass. We found the foundation of an old cabin off the side of Brody's field, and we decided to dig up where the doorway once stood. We ripped up old piles of logs that once made up the threshold of the place. This is what I think angered whatever spirits or entity was there. That same summer, we were all standing in Brody's front yard in the dark, just talking about either what we were going to do that night or what we had done all week. Whatever the case was, we were standing there and chatting when we looked around and noticed Travis had disappeared. Now, Travis did stuff like this all the time. He would hide when nobody was looking and he'd make us look for him. I remember thinking it was annoying, but still a little funny just because of how childish it was. So we split up in groups of two, me and Mason and Brody and John. We went down to the field and the other group checked the woods. Mason and I were walking down the field, scanning the area with our trusty LED flashlights, yelling things like, oh, come on, Travis, and quit being an idiot and just get out here. We walked for a few minutes before we saw what appeared to be our friend lying face first in the grass. He had on a brown or black sweater and they had brown hair, just like Travis. So Mason yelled at him, I see you, Travis, come on, and we started to run over to him. What appeared to be Travis got up and bolted into the woods, vanishing as soon as he hit the underbrush. 
That second, we then heard Brody and John yell at us. We found him. This was weird. We went back to the house nervously. Brody went on to explain that Travis was hidden between the car and the truck, and they said when they found him, he was joking about how we walked right past him and never even saw him. We asked him if that was him in the field, and he said it couldn't have been because he would have been able to run like 300 meters a second to do that. Needless to say, we were pretty shaken up by that experience. One day we were outside the following winter, so it was about a year after we were followed by that thing. We were standing outside to get away from a party inside that was running long and was honestly painfully boring. We were standing on the dirt road when all of a sudden, our friend who had an insulin pump started complaining about it not working. I began to reach into my pocket and tried to use my flashlight that was in the bottom of my walkie-talkie, but it didn't work either. After about a minute of tinkering with this stuff, my walkie-talkie and her pump began working again, followed by this loud bang of a rock hitting the stop sign at the end of Brody's driveway. We all jumped when we heard it, then we shone our flashlights at it and saw it was shaking from the impact of whatever was thrown. We all ran back inside, scared to death of what had just happened. The final experience I had with this spirit was in the spring or fall. I can't quite remember it exactly. I know it was raining a lot that day and it was very warm outside, warm enough that you didn't need a jacket. Me and Mason were at Brody's house once again, chasing him around with a foam Nerf sword. He ran out the door at one point and we soon lost sight of him. So we ran down the road looking for him when we suddenly heard bushes shaking. We could see the rustling underbrush in the ditch down towards the field. So we hopped into the trench and began yelling for Brody to come out so we could well on him with the sword. We looked all around the brush to find him, but then the rain began to come down harder and it was probably about 9 p.m. So it was too dark to keep going. We decided to go back inside and wait for him to come back. When we got to Brody's house, we saw him sitting in a chair beside his house. He said he turned the corner to fake us out and he apparently went right back to the door. So he'd been there the whole time. We thought this was weird because of what we heard in those woods. The rain was pouring and Brody told us he was going to go and have a shower inside. Mason said that we were going to stay out and enjoy the rain a bit longer. So me and Mason stood on the road looking straight ahead towards a big hill that was right before his house. An extremely thick fog began to roll in and we thought it was neat because it looked like some horror film. I looked at Mason and noticed he was staring deeply down the road, intently. I followed his gaze and then I saw the single most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. It was the figure of a man, a tall, dark, bluey black silhouette it was slowly walking towards us and was only 200 yards away. Whatever this was, it was at least seven feet tall and its limbs were incredibly thin. It didn't seem naturally possible. I turned to Mason and I said something to the effect of, do you see that? And he nodded. The shadowy thing coming right towards us? He nodded again. Come on, we need to go back inside, I said. All the while, I had this disgusting, warm, nauseous feeling in my gut, and I wanted to just get out of there. Mason just kept staring. 
The thing had disappeared to the bottom of the hill, but I knew it was still coming. It was just out of our view. I told Mason we had to go, but he still would not budge. I grabbed him by his arm and forced him towards the door. I remember him saying, no one's ever been killed by a ghost, but I told him, I don't want to be the first, if that's what it really is. We finally ran back inside, and the fog enveloped Brody's whole yard, and he couldn't see a thing outside. Brody moved soon after that, and we hadn't been back since. I'm usually skeptical, and have no explanation for what we saw that night. This was probably six years ago, so I don't remember everything, but all of these events were impossible to completely forget. I don't know what's in those woods, if it's an evil spirit, a demon, or the Wendigo, I'm not sure, but I know that it doesn't like people. What scares me the most was the fact that it perfectly mimicked the shape of my friend. Whenever I was over there, I always felt like something was watching me. And number five, my Wendigo encounter. Submitted by Paul115. What I'm about to tell you happened only a couple of weeks ago. I was going on a trip to my grandparents' place, which was about an hour-long drive. The road goes through a huge forest, nearly 45 minutes of the drive there. So I was leaving with my parents at around 6 p.m., and it was almost night. Through the whole drive, it was going to be night, we assumed. So half an hour went by, and it was pitch black outside. The only light there was was from the moon and our headlights. Suddenly, as I was watching through the window, and I should mention here that we were going slow enough to avoid any slippery turns. So as I was looking through the window, I soon regretted it. The corner of my eye caught something, and I immediately turned my head to its direction, and what I saw will mark my heart for my whole life. There in the dark woods was a pale, white figure, and thanks to the light of the moon, I was able to see this thing's face. And as we passed it, it moved its head towards me. I saw two red eyes. They were like portholes straight to hell. I was in terror. The creature let out this high-pitched, squeaky scream, and I wasn't the only one that heard it. My mom and dad then looked in the direction of the scream to see the creature now standing on its hind legs, and the thing was easily at least one foot taller than my dad. I suddenly felt the car yank as my dad shifted it into high gear. The creature screamed again, then ran into the woods on all fours. We were petrified. The rest of the way there, we heard branches breaking. This thing must have been climbing through the trees and easily keeping pace with us. When we got to my grandparents' place, I told them right away what we had seen, and all of us were asking at once, what is going on? After we got inside and locked all the doors and windows, we repeated our story, but our grandparents weren't too worried, it seemed. They were more curious than anything. They asked us, are you sure of what you saw? My dad said 100% sure. At the moment, I couldn't help but look out the windows. I thought at any moment I could see those red eyes again, so I held tight to my dad's leg. My dad asked my grandparents if they knew what the thing was, 
and they answered without hesitation. It was a Wendigo. We all stayed in the living room that night, huddled together while my dad and grandpa both held 12-gauge shotguns. I soon fell asleep, but a few hours later, I was awoken by a noise. When I sat up and looked around, I saw that everyone was awake too, and everyone was looking at the door. I turned to the front door to see that the doorknob was shaking. Something on the other side was trying to open the door. After about an hour of the door shaking, it stopped. Needless to say, none of us went back to sleep after that. Beware the Wendigo. There is an untold number of them out there. Whenever people must resort to cannibalism, whenever some freak must satisfy his curiosity, there will always be new Wendigo on the prowl. If you see a white flash in the distance, if you catch a glimpse of their pale skin, turn back the way you came and run, because that's the Wendigo longing to taste your flesh. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your choose your own adventure scary story soon at deathbyfear.com slash do something. Thank you.